Well, if you would open up your Bibles, I'm, uh, two places this morning, uh, Romans chapter 8, and then the book of 1 John. Romans chapter 8, if you are using a, a black uh, pew Bible that's provided for you, uh, towards the back of the Bible, page 944, you'll find Romans chapter 8, and then uh, 1 John uh, we're going to be in chapter 4 this morning, a few different places. That'll, that's on page 1023. We are this morning concluding our sermon series and that we've entitled, We Are the Church. And I hope that you've seen through this series, however choppy it was with, with COVID and, and, and everything else, I hope that you've seen through this series that our membership covenant at this church is not simply something that we came up with to have some type of a list of rules or this is how we're to conduct our lives just from the imagination of men. But everything that, that is in our membership covenant is taken directly from Scripture. And we do not follow our membership covenant. We follow the scriptures. And the membership covenant is simply a reminder of what scripture says. It is sort of a billboard that directs us to the location that the billboard is speaking of. And as we have looked at, at all the different uh, things that we are to strive for as individuals and as a church body, I think that it's pretty clear that we have seen from this series that what bonds us together, what gives us our, our common sense of, of life and purpose and mission, it's not common interests, it's not likes, it's not personalities, it's not economic status, it's not race. It's none of those things. But we are bound together through the work of God the Father, the work of God the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. We just saw in our baptism, baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Perfect unity. And it's this work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that, that the Godhead calls us to follow in conducting our lives, conducting our purpose, conducting our mission. And as we kind of conclude this series that we've been looking at, We Are the Church, I think it's fitting that we discuss this common bond that we have together because of the bond we have in God. And even as we are still kind of in the beginning stages of 2021, we're, we're a month in. And uh, so far, a month in, not much is different than 2020, but did we really expect a, 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 new, a new year is going to erase coronavirus and everything that was in 2020? Obviously not. But as we are a month into the new year, I think it's fitting that we look this morning at what will give us hope, 
joy, confidence, and purpose as we look ahead to the future. So with that said, I have on the overhead the, com- the, the, the final concluding statement that we have in our membership covenant that we're going to see comes right from Scripture. Let's say this together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. You see, in our membership covenant, we end our covenant with this statement, not in the spirit of uncertainty, may, as if we're hoping that we have the grace of the Lord Jesus, that we have the love of God, that we have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Not in a spirit of uncertainty do we conclude our membership this uh, way with this comment, but we conclude it this way with the confidence and assurance that as we commit together to follow Christ as his local church, the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with us mightily. That's what the whole covenant is about. It is not as we addressed each bullet point in that covenant We are perfectly doing this. We have arrived. Every single one of those says we will strive. Why? Because we know that we have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that is empowering us. You see, the membership covenant of Covington Baptist Church, it is not a weight. It is a privilege that this is how we are called to follow God. This is what Scripture says the Christian life looks like. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, I didn't have you turn there, but it is our key text this morning. The reason I didn't have you turn there is because it's pretty much verbatim uh, what we have ahead, uh, what we see on the overhead, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, in the English Standard Version, which I'm reading from, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, we are not going to unpack uh, the chapter that, second, that, that, that this verse is written in, found in 2 Corinthians. Uh, in two weeks, we are going to be starting a series in 1 Corinthians where we're going to see uh, several of the things that we read in our, really all of the things we read in our membership covenant being fleshed out in, in real life, in the life of the church at Colossae. Well, this is the second epistle that Paul Um, that's preserved for us that Paul has written to Corinth. There were more. And it's interesting that Paul concludes on this note of hope. And if you take the time to read all of chapter 13, the church in Corinth is still in kind of a difficult, precarious position. There are still things that, that they need to do to follow through that their, their actions are lining up with their profession. But nonetheless, Paul gives them this hope. And this hope is what I want us to look at today. Today we're going to look at the marvelous truth of these three statements from Scripture 
that not only bind us to God, but they bind us to one another. And as we see once more from this series, our key truth that we've been looking at every week, let's say it together, we are called to be the church, Christ church. So this morning, our outline's pretty simple. We are going to be looking at the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and what that means to us as Christians. Let's begin our time with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that this morning, God, would your spirit be at work? Lord, would you open the understanding of our hearts? Lord, we are so prone to wander from you. We are so prone to get distracted by the worries and cares and concerns of the things of this world. That, Lord, the three realities that is true of every single Christian, no exceptions, we lose sight of these three vital realities. So, Lord, remind us once again of what being a part of the family of God looks like and means. Thank you, Lord, that you uphold us. And I pray, Lord, this morning that as we study and proclaim your word, Lord, that you would be the one at work applying it to each individual heart, including my own. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The love of God. Many Christians, unfortunately, spend the majority of their life doubting the love of God. That surely God would love that person over there because they seem to have their act together. And sometimes we present our Christian lives almost like, like we do our, our lives on Facebook or Instagram. That we, we arrange all these nice scenes and take a picture. And people look at that picture and think, wow, I wish I was like them. We often think the love of God is something that is just beyond our grasp. If only we could reach it. But we forget the fact that the love of God is ours because Jesus came to us, not that we came to him. So this morning, as we look at this theme of the love of God with which we conclude our membership covenant, with which we conclude, we see the second the, the epistle of 2 Corinthians. We have to look at this love of God and, and without an understanding for everyone who is a follower of Jesus, without the, the realization that the love of God is ours through Christ Jesus. Your Christian life is going to be full of seeking the wrong things, of living in defeat and discouragement. So therefore, we have to look at the love of God. 
And I just want to present to you three simple realities regarding the love of God. First of all, the love of God is a past love. The love of God is a past reality. You may say, Pastor Adam, what do you mean by that? If you have your, uh, your finger in 1 John, look at chapter 4. First John chapter 4, we're going to jump in the middle of this chapter, but verse 7, uh, uh, John is, is exhorting Christians to love one another, verse 7, for love is from God. God is the originator of love. Many people say God's not a loving God because he did this, he allowed this, or if God was truly loving, why would this happen? But the only way that we know what love is is because God himself is love. We may not understand everything about God or why he does what he does, but God is love itself. He goes on in verse 7, Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You know what that says? Only those who are followers of God can truly love because they have met and have a relationship with the love giver. Many definitions of love that we hear about in, in society, that is not true love. And look at what it says in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So this is what John's saying. We are to, to be people of love, true biblical love. So how do we do that? How do we comprehend what love is? Is love doing this thing or doing that thing? Or is love God saying yes to this desire or yes to that desire? No, John makes it easy for us and he says this is what love is. In this the love of God was made manifest or made known among us. And this is the marker of what love is. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That is love. The, the marker or the north star in which we know that God is a God of love is not that we somehow can interpret circumstances to decide as if we were the judge of God whether he's loving or not. How we know that God is love is through the past event that God gave us what was most precious, his only son. Not that we would have a temporary satisfaction of, of some temporal thing in life. Not that we would enjoy money or enjoy health or enjoy long life. No, God sent his son so that we could have true life in relationship with him. As we're going to read later in Romans 8, Paul says, if God has not withheld his very own son from us, how will he not meet all of our needs? 
The marker of love is found. The marker of God's love is evidenced in Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 10. In this is love. So again, in verse 9, John is saying, this is how we know what God's love is. This is how it was revealed to us. This is how we see God's love in a broken, fallen world where bad things happen. And then in verse 10, he says, now this is how you can be assured of God's love. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation, it's a big word that just means the satisfaction for our sins. In other words, God's love came to us when we were unlovable. Isn't that good news? If, if we had to somehow reach to the level of being lovable for God to exercise his love to us, we would still be waiting. Now many times as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, somehow you, re- you realize that and you admit that for salvation, but then you forget it in your Christian life, and I tend to forget it. Why? Because our relationship with God is so much different uh, in so many ways than any other relationship. I mean, when I was dating Rachel, what was my goal? It was to put my best foot forward. When, when, when I talked to her dad, uh, do I have permission to, to, to marry your daughter? Is that, that's, that's, you know, Julia's six years old. I don't want to think to the future, but I'm going to expect whoever she marries to ask the old man's permission. I don't know if that's still popular. But guess what? I wanted to put my best foot forward to gain that approval. But with God, there is no gaining approval. His love is manifested to us while we were still sinners. The Bible says in Romans that in our sin, we were once enemies with God. We were totally contrary to God. God's anger at sin was upon us. But God in his reconciling love stooped down and initiated his love to us. Can I ask you this morning, if you did not initiate God's love for you, do you think that somehow your love, God's love for you is contingent upon somehow keeping it? Does that mean we do not want to love God back, that we do not want to live for God? Of course we do. But it is out of a response to God's love and a privilege to live for Him, not under the weightiness of thinking that somehow we are going to to lose what God has given. You see, we see God's love as a past love because we see that it is Jesus, if we have come to Christ... It is God who has initiated His love in the past to us through His Son. 
But like I just mentioned, many times we, we are quick to acknowledge God's past love. Just like we're quick to acknowledge in, in the past trials, God has seen me through that trial four years ago. Boy, God was good there. But then when we have a present trial, uh, the, 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 the confidence of that past quickly evaporates, right? But God's love is not only a past love, it's also a present love. You're in 1 John, look over at chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Again, John is, is exhorting Christians to live in love, but it's not just, hey, love better. How many uh, of us as parents so often we say, be nice to your brother. Be nice to your sister. Give them a hug as if that hug suddenly oozes love. John doesn't say, love each other and, and just do it. Just be better. No, throughout the book of 1 John, he says, this is how we can love. We have a picture of love and we have been given love. And that love can flow out of us when it's running through us. And look at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. I mean, this is the present day privilege that we have if we are followers of Jesus, that we should be called the children of God. John is saying, think about this. How great must be God's love if sinners like us can be called the children of God. And lest we doubt this reality, lest we turn to Jesus, as the Bible talks about, in faith in what Jesus and Jesus alone could do for us on the cross, we turn from our sins, we look to Jesus as our Savior, lest we somehow start to doubt that love. John adds in verse 1, and so we are. In other words, this isn't just wishful thinking, this is reality for the follower of Jesus. And then in verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Verse 2, we are God's children now. Yes, right now, sitting there in your seat, if you are a follower of Jesus, you may be depressed this morning, you may be feeling guilty of sin, you may be uh, in whatever situation, but if you are a follower of Jesus, verse 2 applies to you. You are God's child now, even in this moment of weakness. I don't know about you, but there's many moments that that truth is hard to believe. There's many moments in which my sin causes me to mentally, emotionally, spiritually run away from God. But man, according to what the Bible says, our sin should actually cause us to run to God 
in gratefulness that he has already taken care of our sin. We are God's children now, even in our desperate state. And then there's the hope that God is not going to leave us in that desperate state because when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then, verse 3, it's not on the screen for you, but uh, you can look at your Bible. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You see, that's what it means to live for the Lord. To realize that God loves you, that you are secure in him, that your hope, your satisfaction is in him. And what does that spur us to do? To respond to him in faith, in obedience, in seeking to live for him, to live out the truths of God's word, to live out uh, what we find in God's word as we've stated in our membership covenant. All of these things come out of a reality that God loves us. But not only is this a present love and a past love, but there's a lot of things that happen in our life that can make us doubt God's love for the future, but yes, it is even a future love. Terry read Romans 8. If you are, are there, you can quickly... Flip, flip over to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 31 to 39 is one of my favorite passages in, in the Bible. I like to read it and be reminded of the truths here both in everyday living, and I love to share this for, with people that are on their deathbed. I love to share this uh, in funerals. I love to share this in church. Whatever situation, if you're a follower of Jesus, this holds true. And we don't have time to go through the passage, and Terry has already read it, but it goes through a grocery list of things that could potentially theoretically separate us from God's love. And then when we get to the final verses of this, we see a final list that Paul comes up with in verse 38. And he says, I am sure, it's as if his list is getting weightier and weightier as he goes on until he thinks of some of the ultimate realities that could potentially separate us from God's love. And he says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and in case he forgot anything, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And where is that love of God found according to, to the text? In Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from God's eternal love. Now if that verse said, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's found in Adam Pereira, 
or you insert your name, then the whole thing would, would tumble. It would be like pulling out the wrong piece of wood from the Jenga stack. You guys know that game, right? Jenga? It would all topple, but it is in Christ Jesus in which our love is sourced. Therefore, we do not have to fear losing it, because it is Jesus that has purchased it. Um, I am not a fix-it person. In fact, when Dennis and I were, were working on the um, on the, the pump, our personalities came through that my first re- reaction to it was, yeah, yeah, Dennis, you're right. The thing's not working. I'm gonna, I better call John D. <laughs> and Dennis is back there tinkering around. So, you know, I'm not a fixer. You, you know what my number one thing is? If you have to buy an appliance part, I might get ripped off, but get the warranty. Because it's one less thing to worry about if it breaks. You see, the warranty of God's love is not our actions, it is Christ Jesus. And we're going wonky all the time, aren't we? But our lo- God's love is manifested in the person of Christ Jesus. We know just how much God loves us through Christ, through what He has done So can I ask you this morning, are you looking at the love of God as your stability in your Christian life? Are you here this morning and you would say, you know, Pastor Adam, I, I, I've never turned to Jesus. Uh, I've never turned from being my own Savior and clinging to my desires and will and my sin. I've never even turned to Christ But I want that love. As we're going to see in point number two, it is a matter of looking to Christ. Because not only does a follower of Jesus have the certainty of the love of God, but a follower of Jesus has the certainty of the grace of the Lord Jesus. What is grace? Mercy is when Someone does not do something that that person deserves. So for instance, if your child deserves a certain punishment and you withhold that punishment, that is an act of mercy. You're not giving your child what they deserve. Grace is giving to someone what they do not deserve. Mercy is withholding what they do deserve. Grace is giving what they do not deserve. And we have the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if we want to understand what this grace looks like, we must turn to Scripture. And from Scripture, we see grace in action. Grace demonstrated. Uh, You don't need to turn there. It'll be on the screen. But 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is that grace? Good question, because it's explained here. 
that though he, Jesus, was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now this isn't talking about earthly riches. But this is talking about Jesus himself who who was at the right hand of God the Father in glory, was willing to take upon himself the form of a servant to be born of a virgin as a baby, to make himself poor on our behalf. Why? So that we could experience the riches of God. That is the ultimate example of God giving what we do not deserve. Grace is demonstrated through the sacrifice of Jesus. But not only is this grace demonstrated, this grace is specifically given to all those who call upon the name of the Lord. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 8 through 10, the scriptures say, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of who? The gift of God. God is not somehow an angry, killjoy God. No, God is a God of love. And he gives this gift. And as we're reminded from what John said in 1 John, this is not a result of work so that no one may boast. We would still be working if we were to somehow earn the righteousness of God. But it is by grace that God comes and saves us. In verse 10, it says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When you really start reading the Bible and you start losing some of the cliches that maybe you've picked up over time, it shows you the reality of the bigness of God. That this whole pool in which we swim the Christian life, so to speak, it is all about God. From start to finish, it is about God. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. And lest we think somehow the Christian life is our own doing. And somehow it is all up to us. And, and, and we're going to be in the spotlight The end here in verse 10 says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. God has prepared beforehand the good works that we should walk in. From start to finish, our boast has to be in God. Could it be this morning that your focus in your Christian life has been too much on self? Self is not going to produce the joy, the hope, the perseverance to follow God even amidst difficulty. 
It is going to be the realization that God is the one who orchestrates our days. He orchestrates our seasons. He orchestrates the the things we're struggling with. And all of those things are not to devour us, but to rid us of reliance upon self and cause us to rely upon him. The very faith that saved us. So as we read our membership covenant, we as a church are not saying, here's our checklist of do's and don'ts in a legalistic manner. No, we are saying we are entirely dependent upon the Lord to bring these things about. And God has called us as a church to walk alongside one another, to encourage each other in those things. In our, in our hearts, if we are filled with the reality that God loves us and that Jesus has given us grace, should never be to shun one another and to say, leave me alone, uh, don't bother me, I'm going to go my own way, whatever it is. No, it is to be thankful for these daily reminders that are pointing us back to Christ himself. That's what the church is all about. Because this is a grace that is demonstrated, this is a grace that is given, and this is a grace in which we are to live. In 2 John chapter 1 and verse 3, the verses on the screen, John says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. But this grace, mercy, and peace must be sourced in truth and in love. The truth that this grace, mercy, and peace is found in is that we cannot achieve this grace, mercy, and peace on our own. It has been divinely given to us by God. The truth is, is this grace, mercy, and peace is to be at the forefront of our minds as we have to consciously remind ourselves of this by, by consistently being in Scripture, by being in prayer, by asking God to transform our thinking, because it's easy to claim grace, mercy, and peace and have it not be in truth can start to look for peace in things. We can start to look for grace and mercy from our spouses, from our co-workers, from our friends. And then we are not treated as we think we should. We not only reject others, we reject God himself. This must be grounded in truth, and it must be grounded in the reality of God's love in Christ Jesus. You see, we have to be living out of the grace that God provides. And the daily temptation is to live out of our own strength. We must not move from the grace of Christ that's found in the gospel. The Galatian church in Galatians 1.6, Paul says, I am shocked that you have so quickly removed, uh, removed yourself and, and you're trying to live out of, 
out of this legalistic standard and you're no longer living according to the gospel. That didn't take long at all. The truth is it doesn't take long for any of us. You see, we are to live in the reality of God's love. We're to live in the reality of Jesus' grace. And thirdly and finally, we are to live in the reality of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You see, it is the Holy Spirit that unites us to God and one another. You can, if you're taking notes, you can, we're not going to read this for time, but John 17, verses 22 and 23, we see both a union that believers have with God the Father and God the Son through the Spirit and also with one another. But then we also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, we just observed the baptism this morning. But 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 13, talking about the body of Christ. Verse 13 says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. You may say, Pastor Adam, what in the world does that mean? It means that it is the Spirit of God that has united us to God Himself and to His church. It is the Spirit of God that, that gives the proof of the reality that we are His followers. It doesn't matter Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. It doesn't matter your economic status. It doesn't matter your culture, your race, whatever it is. The common bond that unites us as a child of God to one another is the Spirit. We were all made to drink of one Spirit, meaning it is the Holy Spirit who now indwells us. The mark of the Holy Spirit gives indicator that we now have union with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and we have union with one another. And as Christians, the outworking of this is we now walk in fellowship with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that as the Holy Spirit indwells our hearts, We want to be attentive to his proddings. We want to live as the Spirit directs. And the Holy Spirit never directs contrary to his word. The outworking of the work of the Holy Spirit we see very clearly in Galatians 5.22 When it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. 
Now you may say, Pastor Adam, what a list of things. I can never attain to that. And you're exactly right, and neither can I. Why? Because these are things that our Holy Spirit produced in our hearts. As we seek to follow God, and and there's, there's times that we were never going to be always exercising this fruit of the Spirit. But these are characteristics of what living a life that is controlled by the Spirit looks like. These are not meant to be, to be viewed as, as different parts of, well, I have love, but now I've got to work on joy. I have pretty good with peace, but no. Pay. No, this is looked at as one entity. Th- these are the types of things that flows out of a life controlled by the Spirit. If you look at verses 17 to 21, we're not going to this morning for time, but you'll see the evidences of living life in the flesh. They look very different. You see, many times, and we're going to see this in the book of 1 Corinthians, Christians desire sort of showy demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I can't tell, if, if I hear one more person, I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't want to get political, one more person that has said they had a prophecy that President Trump is somehow going to come back and be the president, it's just like, that is not in Bible, in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is not going to give you that. If you were a prophet in the Old Testament, you would be slain because it has not come true. But even in the church in Corinth, it's, I want to have, to, to have a demonstration of the Spirit by speaking in tongues or doing this or doing that so that I can be recognized. You know what the greatest evidence of a life lived under the control of the Holy Spirit is? It's what we see here in Galatians 5. This is how we are called to walk with one another in this local body of Christians. And this is how we are called to walk even in this world where we are rubbing shoulders with many people that may be mean or may not treat us the way they should because of our faith. Or whatever the case is, But we can do so in the confidence that we have the love of God, that we have the grace of God that has been manifested through Jesus Christ, and that if we are followers of Jesus, we have his spirit within us to strengthen us and to lead us in conjunction with his word. Are you living your Christian life in this way? Are you mindful that this Christian race, it's not about you? It's not up to you? It's not dependent upon white-knuckling it? It is living a life in the reality of God's love, Christ's grace, 
and the work of the Holy Spirit. We are called to be the church, and if we are going to live as the church, we must be mindful of these three realities. 